Broadcasting live high atop the Sunset Strip, deep in the heart of Tinseltown, via the World Wide Web at www.edamrocksradio.com. It's the Edam Rocks Radio Show. Now, your host, Son Edom. And welcome to another edition of what I like to call From Nonsense to God Sense, where we take a look at some of the issues of today and we take a look at them from a biblical perspective. And on the docket today is a topic from an article that uh, Pastor Dan Delzell, who is with us, the pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, wrote. And the actual title of the article is Transitioning from Atheism to Agnosticism to Christianity, or from what I like to say, non-belief to believing in God, or basically, is it harder to believe than not to, I guess, is what I ultimately want to get at. And Pastor, again, thanks for joining us. And uh, in the article, you mention, or you start out with absolute truth as the means by which Christianity is true. You mentioned it's not based on subjective opinions or personal experiences, so the question I would have based on that, absolute, tr- uh, absolute truth versus the opinions and the personal experiences that you feel, is it actually harder to believe in God than it is not to believe in God? Well, Son, it's a pleasure to be with you again, and I really appreciate the question. I think it's one that many people have, especially these days. And I guess I would answer the question this way. I would say, Son, that for children— I don't believe it's harder to believe in God than not to believe in God. Um, I think there's a a big reason why um, we we see the importance of childlike faith in the Scripture. Um, We we, we see our Lord talking about um, the need to receive the gospel like a child, and unless you have the faith of a child, you you really are not going to be able to, uh, to enter the kingdom of God. So from that perspective, I would say it's easier for children um, for many adults, um, I would say that it is uh, more challenging to believe in God uh, than not to believe in God. But again, a lot of that has to do with um, just their own life experiences. Um, it has to do with how, how badly they have been victimized by Bible bashing. Um, in, in other words, how deeply have they been convinced that you cannot trust Scripture? Um, and, and then there's also the factors of just how open an adult is to um, investigating the evidence that is really overwhelming for, for Christianity. And, and so um, the attitude toward the evidence, um, which of course involves historical evidence, uh, there's the overwhelming prophetic evidence, you know, nearly or about 300 prophecies all fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah, uh, what I like to call the mathematical proof, really, for Christianity. When you look at those uh, uh, prophecies that are fulfilled in, in one person, of course, there's the archaeological evidence, the, the textual evidence of the Bible. You know, so many manuscripts, you know, for Scripture, far more than we have for any other ancient work of antiquity. And, and so if, if you approach Scripture with an open mind, you see how reliable it is. Then, Son, there's the testimonial evidence for Christianity and, and the millions of lives that have been changed. Uh, we haven't even mentioned the theological evidence, uh, you know, and, and, and the beautiful symmetry that you find in Scripture. Um, there, there is unity in complexity there in the Bible, and it all centers in the Son of God and His, his uh, mission to come and redeem man, 
And, uh, you know, I would just throw in, I guess, there the Christological evidence. Uh, when you really begin to look at Jesus Christ and who he is, um, you, you really begin to get close to understanding uh, the point of, of why God has, has sent his only son, uh, what we needed in terms of a Savior. Uh, now, that doesn't mean, Son, that, of course, uh, adults aren't going to have doubts. Um, you don't find too many doubts in children, but but uh, there are many uh, adults who do, and we don't want to be quick to, um, you know, come down on people for having doubts. I mean, my goodness, uh, doubting Thomas, uh, as he is known, uh, simply wanted evidence. You know, he, he was open to accepting the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead, but not without evidence. And once that evidence was presented to him, Son, then it was uh, quite easy for him to, uh, to, to believe in in. Uh, Jesus as his Messiah, as he had been doing up until, you know, the crucifixion, and I'm sure he wanted to continue believing that, but, um, you know, the disciples were uh, jolted with that, uh, the, the crucifixion, and they didn't see it coming, even though Jesus had, had been, you know, telling them about it. Uh, and so once that all went down and the disciples were hiding uh, out of fear, um, Thomas was one of those who uh, was open to believing in the resurrection, but not without evidence. So is it harder to believe in God than not to believe in God? Um, it, it really kind of depends on who you're talking about. Um, one last one I'll throw in there is uh, King Agrippa in uh, Acts 26. Uh, he was speaking to the Apostle Paul, you may remember, Son, and he had an interesting question there. He said, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And, and of course, there are many in the world today who... Um, you know, they, they, they might be open to some persuasion. They might be open to the evidence. Um, others are, are, you know, far more skeptical and might be a little bit tougher to reach. But um, I, I guess I would just answer your question by saying it, 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 there are many factors, I would say, that go into whether it's harder to believe in God than not to believe in God. You know, as humans, uh, we're creatures that like to depend on our personal experiences uh, our feelings, you know, we tend to listen to the opinions of others. We take that into consideration in decision making, whether it's day to day lives or you know things of the future. Uh, you know, we want to make processes of things. We maybe ask for advice, and yet we often ignore those same opinions and experiences when it comes to the topic of God. You just mentioned, you know, there's a lot of evidence out there. People will share their personal experience with God, and even though they hear that God exists and they hear these stories and they can see this evidence and they see people walking a godly life and they know yeah, it probably exists, but yet they still ignore that. Why, why do you think that is? Well, when we dig into scripture, we're, we're given a big reason for why that happens, son. In second Corinthians four, verse four, it's referring to the devil when it says the God, small G of this age, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And this is a remarkable passage of Scripture that gives us tremendous insight into this question that you've just asked on, because after all, you would think that when a person looks out and they see um, all the fruit in a Christian's life who's walking closely with the Lord and living a life that is compassionate and humble and gentle and non-judgmental and forgiving and on and on and on and, and just tremendous fruit in this person's life, 
And yet they might have a spouse, they might have a relative or a co-worker who, while they see that evidence, that testimonial evidence, that life witness, um, this, this individual still who is, is contemplating Christianity um, may choose to remain very hard-hearted uh, toward the message. So why? What, how do we explain that? And uh, I think there are a number of factors that go into that, but this passage in 2 Corinthians gives us such insight. And, you know, we don't talk about the devil a lot in our society today, uh, but, but the devil is a real being. He's a, a fallen angel. Uh, he leads his forces of other fallen angels. And we are told in this passage that somehow, some way, the devil has been able to blind the minds of unbelievers. Um, that is just startling when you think about it, Son, but it carries so much uh, power behind it, and, and it points to a number of things, not the least of which is, is the importance of prayer uh, for those that we're trying to reach, because it's truly going to take a supernatural deliverance, a supernatural enlightenment, a, a, a supernatural birth in the in their spirit, uh, and of course, this is why Jesus in John three said that flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit, with a capital S, referring to the Holy Spirit, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So somewhere in there, son, as a person transitions, as this article addresses, let's say from atheist to agnostic to Christianity. Somewhere in there, the only way you're going to to make it all the way to Christianity is when the Holy Spirit gives birth to your spirit. And and that is every bit as much of a miracle, Son, as a little baby being born into the world, only in the case of a person's spirit, it's something on the inside that happens as the individual turns away from sin. And, and places their faith in Jesus Christ, and and is converted then. You know, um, seeing examples of Christianity, as, as you pointed out in your question there, um, seeing Christianity in action is one thing. Believing the good news yourself, well, that's another sign. And, and Scripture makes it clear that to be converted, um, to actually make it into Christianity, into God's family, um, what a person will need to do is to believe the good news, to receive the free gift of salvation. And so this really kind of goes back to your first question about, you know, is it harder to believe in God than not to believe in God? Um, well, you know, if you're willing to uh, accept Christ with the faith of a child, um, then definitely um, it won't be difficult for you to be uh, converted. And then one other passage that comes to mind, Son, that I'll throw in here on this point, and that is in Hebrews 4, too, it says, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now, this is key, Son, when we're talking about Christianity. Um, you know, the, the, the gospel message goes out, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the gospel message. And those who combine that message with faith are the ones then who cross over from death to life. They are the ones where the Spirit gives birth to their spirit, 
They are the ones then who, in some cases, are transitioning from uh, atheism to agnosticism uh, to Christianity. Others are transitioning from uh, another religion that they're a part of, um, or whatever their worldview might be. But but this is uh, really what's necessary, and and so seeing uh, examples of Christian living, that's certainly going to help a person, I would think, open their heart to the message, open their heart to the um, just the authentic nature of it. Um, but at the end of the day, um, could see a hundred Christians, you know, living beautiful lives for Christ. But if you still refuse yourself to humble yourself and repent of your sin, and with the faith of a child accept Christ as your Savior, well, all of that will be for naught in the end, because your soul will be lost if you die in that state. This is the radical message of the Bible, the extreme message of the Bible, the almost unbelievable message of the Bible. But my goodness, once the Holy Spirit begins to teach us the Word of God, it not only becomes believable, we become convinced that it is absolutely true. Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, joining us. And and the article that we're referring to is called Transitioning from Atheism to Agnosticism to Christianity, going maybe from unbelief to believing, or basically the broader question, is it harder to believe in God than not to? And, and Dan, one of the things that I was pondering about, do you think there are people out there that who don't believe they're really just running away from what they really know to be true. Um, you know, despite their denials that God exists, do you think they deep down really believe God exists, especially those who, who are so defiant? And what I mean by that is, you know, you've got this group out there called freedom from religion foundation. And I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're out of Wisconsin and they spend so much time trying to fight Christianity you know, they use the separation of church and state thing to get crosses removed and the Ten Commandments removed from courthouses and things like that, public lands. And it's almost like they're struggling, you know, with their own beliefs. You know, for me, if I can try to make this correlation, I don't believe in aliens from space, yet other people do. Um, I don't go around trying to fight them, you know, telling them that they need to close down Roswell, New Mexico, or that their spaceship emblems are offensive, anything like that. I just don't believe Aliens exist, so I'm not going to entertain it as far as, you know, being serious about it. But yet, some of these people, they tend to fight and protest against something they don't even believe in. So do you think it's something that they really deep down believe in and they're just struggling with? Or is it really just them fighting something they don't believe in? Well, this is a very good insight I think you're making here, Son, because it is very curious. Um, why uh, some of these, you know, they've been called new atheists, and then, you know, the Freedom From Religion group that you mentioned, and there are various groups and individuals who uh, are very vocal, you know, in their, in their atheism or in their rejection of Christianity. And, and, and your question is basically asking, well, why? why? Why is that? What's driving that? And, you know, I think for some folks, uh, it, it certainly would be that they had a, a bad experience with, um, with religion. You know, it's interesting to me when I listen to, you know, a number of the, the prominent atheists who, uh, you know, engage in debates and, and so forth. Um, you know, it's interesting when, when you hear that some of them actually grew up in, in kind of a religious setting or even a Christian setting. And then, you know, they talk about having gone to college and then that's kind of where they, they just kind of, you know, went away from, you know, whatever they were hearing up to that point. Um, and, and, and I think perhaps some of them maybe, uh, you know, something was maybe uh, forced on them a bit, and so they're uh, responding there. Others of them were never grounded in 
the, the message of the gospel. And so it never really had an impact in their life, uh, certainly, let's say, through their teenage years. And so it was very easy for them to, to just kind of go the other direction in college. But, but I think there's a, a number of things that could come into play there in terms of why some people are so antagonistic, even hostile to the message. You know, there was an interesting uh, book in 1997 uh, entitled The Last Word. It was written by uh, an atheist, Thomas Nagel. And, you know, it, it's very insightful what uh, something he said in that book, Son. Uh, he wrote, I want atheism to be true and am uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my head. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. Now, I have to commend Thomas for his honesty there, um, you know, searching the depths of his heart, uh, of his soul, you know, really trying to address his feelings about uh, a belief in God, or in this case, a lack of belief in God. And I really appreciate his honesty in saying, I don't want there to be a God. Um, perhaps in answer to your question, Son, there are quite a few atheists who uh, may- maybe are acting out a bit, um, are getting very, very uh, confrontational and loud uh, in their renunciations of um, really not not so much other religions uh, as much as Christianity, um, renouncing, you know, Jesus and, and the message of the gospel. It might also be some that, as it says in Ecclesiastes, you know, that God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And so I suspect for some who are uh, extremely hostile to Christianity, it may be just kind of what you suggest. They're kind of fighting against some of these inner things they're feeling. And, and you know, let's face it, Son, if you and I, or any person for that matter, did not know the key to eternal life in paradise, if we did not know that it's a free gift through trusting Jesus alone, and, and if we started to hear about, you know, heaven and hell, for example— and, and, you know, deep down we had this nagging feeling like, well, you know, I'm never going to be able to make it into heaven. I'm never going to be good enough. And, you know, these Christians just want me to be, you know, somebody I can't be, or, or the Bible wants me to be somebody I can't be. God wants me to be that. And, and so who among us, son, wouldn't act out a bit and almost uh, just in, in anger to how dare anyone, God, Christians, the Bible, how dare anyone command something of me? I'm incapable of doing. I know I'm, I'm a, uh, you know, you're telling me I'm a failure. Okay, I get it. I don't need to hear that anymore. I don't need to be told I'm going to hell. And, and, and at a deeper level, Son, people don't want to deal with that because it is so difficult to process. I mean, hey, let's face it. It's hard enough, Son, for you and I, who believe the Bible, who believe in Christ, who believe in the reality of heaven and hell. It's hard enough for us to just think about, you know, hell in terms of, people going there and, and the kind of suffering the Bible describes, that's a challenge. It doesn't mean we don't believe it, uh, but it means, you know, we, we don't take pleasure in thinking about it. And, and so if a person's not a believer, and, and they've heard a little bit of that message, and deep down they just maybe feel like, man, you know, I'm never going to measure up, hey, who wouldn't, you know, kind of lash out a bit against that and say, how dare you, you know, uh, say I'm going to hell when, when you're just as bad as I am? So, you know, um, a lot of it is just, I think, a natural response to a message that is very extreme, because the message of heaven, the message of hell, they are very extreme, very radical, but also very true, 
Uh, otherwise, our Lord would not have told us about them. But when we do surrender ourselves to Christianity and we accept Christ as our Savior, we start a new journey. We get a new life, as you write, uh, new motivations and new perspectives on different areas of our lives. We start to change the way we view life. We put off our old ways and truly become, it becomes a, a life-changing process. Like you write, you're transitioning from the old into the new, and it's really that transition. And like you mentioned, some people don't like to have that um, negative you know, thing put on them. I can't achieve this, therefore, why do you keep telling me about it? But I guess mm-hmm. people have to kind of realize that there's a transition that goes on. Well, there is. You know, I think of the passage in Second Corinthians, son, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Well, what's gone is is the, the the person being bound to their old nature, to the old way of living. Doesn't mean you know Christians aren't tempted. Doesn't mean Christians never never sin. Doesn't mean you know that Christians aren't um, you know are, are somehow now perfect. But what it means is when it says the new has come, that now the 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 life of Christ is living within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. This is this process you're talking about, this transition. And, you know, all of us are in process. You know, theologians have used uh, the words justification and sanctification to help describe what it means to become a Christian and then uh, to begin living for the Lord. Justification, uh, to compare it to a house, would be the foundation. And the foundation is laid at the point of conversion, when a person is saved, redeemed, justified, born again, forgiven. As you repent of your sin and trust Christ as Savior, um, God comes to live within your soul, your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now you're off and running, okay? Now you're in the family. Um, God says, okay, um, you know, you are mine forever. Your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, You have your reservation in heaven, in heaven's reservation book, as I like to call it, uh, the Book of Life. But now, um, now comes the challenging part. It's really easy in many ways to, to, to be saved. Um, you know, as we've talked already today about, you know, just needing the childlike faith to do so. But the challenging part then is, is to say no to our sinful desires, which are still, um, you know, they may be lying dormant to a large extent, but they're still there. And, and sometimes they, they, they rise up with, with great passion. Um, sometimes maybe we, don't say no to something that we, re- we really should have said no to in terms of something that we allowed our eyes to view or our mind to dwell on or some words that we spoke that we shouldn't have. And so any one of those actions, Son, where we don't say no to, 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 to those things that are not to be part of our new life in Christ, well, then um, that, that kind of stalls our, our growth, at least temporarily, uh, until we uh, really bring that to the Lord, confess it to the Lord, and say, you know, hey, uh, I'm sorry, Lord, that was, you know, I, I gave into that thing. That's part of the old life, but I'm, I'm a new creation. And, you know, one other passage I've got right here in front of me, actually, in Romans 6, on Paul writes, he, uh, he says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural self, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. Um, uh, and then he says, uh, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. 
for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so that's in this area of sanctification. So the foundation is, is justification, son, but, but then God is building a house, as it were, um, in each one of our lives as believers. And, and he's putting this structure up, and he's working on every room in the home, and you know, all of us have different areas in our in our house, our spiritual house, um, that, that needs more work, more more um, uh, of God to, to shine His light on different areas that we we really need to pay attention to. But the bottom line is, um, because we are a new creation, we do then begin um, being drawn in this new direction. Um, we we learn by God's grace um, that He wants us to say no to the things that are of the old life. And, uh, and it is, so. It, it's a process. It's an ongoing process. We're never going to be perfect in this life, but because of the gospel, God sees us as perfect. That is to say, um, he sees us as qualified to get into heaven. And it's not because of our performance. It's because of Jesus's work on the cross, the blood that he shed for our sin. It's the only thing that can wash away sin. You can go to church every day. You could pray 10 hours a day. You could work at the uh, the uh, the soup uh, uh, shelter for um, you know five hours a day. None of it will wash away one sin. All of those are great things to do, but the only thing that can wash away sin is the blood of Jesus. That only happens through faith. And and whether it's a person transitioning from atheism to agnosticism and then getting into Christianity at the beginning by the blood of Jesus. The only way any of us, you know, are, are forgiven on a day-to-day basis, even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, it's only the blood of Jesus that continually cleanses us. Um, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, the Bible says, from all sin. And so that's a powerful motivator to live this new life for Christ. Dan Delzell with us, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papilla, Nebraska. Referring to an article he wrote that you can find at the ChristianPost.com, Transitioning from Atheism to Agnosticism to Christianity, or maybe more simply put for some that might not understand those terms, going from non-belief to believing in God. And you mentioned, you mentioned the soup kitchen doing works. And when it comes to Christianity, I think sometimes people mistake being a good person or doing some of those good things as the end game, so to speak, of their belief. But as you write, Christianity is not do morality better. It's mm-hmm. being forgiven of sins, receiving a new heart. And when we receive that new heart, we will no doubt do morality better, as you write. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people tend to focus on the morality part, and they forget that the better part of the whole thing is being forgiven and being renewed. That's exactly right, Son. You know, it's been said that every other religion of the world is a religion of do. Do this, do that, and and strive to the best of your ability, and hopefully you will achieve um, you know, the end result that you're, you're aiming at. Um, Christianity is the only belief system of done, and the message of the gospel is that um, we are forgiven through faith in Jesus because of what was done for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. I mean, just think about that, Son. That is a long time ago, and yet there is so much power in what Jesus did on the cross that it has the ability uh, to, to forgive sins just as much today as it did way back in the day when Jesus was crucified and then rose from the dead on the third day. So the other religions are religions of do. Uh, Christianity is a religion of done. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't um, seek to live uh, holy lives for the Lord, uh, that we don't seek to be moral, of course. I mean, that uh, part of our Christian life, our sanctified life, is to uh, to please the Lord in all things. 
But in order to do that, you really have to get the order right. You need to receive Christ as your Savior. You need to be forgiven. You know, if you jump out and start trying to do morality, and you're not yet even forgiven of your sins, it's not going to work. Um, you're not going to be connected to Christ. Uh, you're, you're not going to have the foundation laid. You know, you can go out and start trying to build that home yourself of your religion, and you can stand before God one day and bring all your tools and, and, and show Him that little structure that you put together. But I'll tell you what, you're not going to be able to stand before your Creator unless you're standing on Christ alone, unless your faith was in Christ alone, unless you receive Jesus as your Savior. Because yet to all who received him, it says in John, he gave the right to become children of God. And and so once we are saved then, we seek to, as the Bible says, keep in step with the Spirit. Um, now, you know, that's kind of that, that morality piece, if you will. Um, we, we do seek to say no to the things of, of, of sin and, and, and yes to the things of, of the Lord. Um, but man-centered morality, you know, without a, a, the gospel, Son, that is so different than Christ-centered Christian living. Uh, Christ-centered Christian living is rooted in Christ. He's the one who has forgiven me. And at the moment of conversion, then the wellspring of God, the living water, you know, Jesus referred to as uh, referring to the Holy Spirit, the, the wellspring of God comes on the inside of you. And then, son, I love to use the analogy that we as Christians, we are like the nozzle on the end of a hose. Now, as we're moving into the summer months now, you know, there'll be many uh, already who are out, you know, uh, watering their lawn, perhaps, or a garden, or whatever the case might be. And, and so the water, of course, is something God has to provide in our Christian life. You and I are the nozzle. And, and, and the garden or, or the lawn, that represents the people that God wants to reach, that he wants them to grow in Christ. He wants the water to, um, to go to them, the good news of the gospel. And, and so you and I do play a role. Um, we do get to be that nozzle on the end of the hose, but, um, you know, obviously a nozzle is not a very, um, uh, something that you would really, uh, celebrate a whole lot. You wouldn't even really notice it. You'd be noticing the water. You'd be noticing what the water's doing. I mean, that's the way it is intended to be. It, the focus is not to be on us. And, you know, anytime, son, that, that a Christian is getting the focus, and I, I mean, whether it be a, a, a preacher, whether it be whoever, whoever it is, if the focus is heavily on the individual, almost more so than the message, than the people who are being reached, then, then it's, it's really out of order. Um, but, but definitely, uh, Christianity is the only belief system of done, and we can rest in what Christ has done for us. Yeah, I like that, the, uh, the done part. That really kind of resonates and hits home. You know, one of the uh, struggles, as we're talking with uh, Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, one of the struggles that people have with Christianity is the concept of eternal punishment, especially, you know, the, the concept of hell, like you mentioned. One of the things that uh, I do every year as a part of my duties for the college I teach at is we do a, a live broadcast of the Rose Parade here in Pasadena. And before the parade, you got people walking up and down Colorado Boulevard and you get the extreme people, you know, chanting hell's hot, don't go. They're holding signs that say turn or burn, you know, all this other stuff, which, you know, I get, kind of get a kick out of. I don't think it's the, mm -hmm. the right way to spread a message, but, you know, right. I, I get a kick out of it. But anyways, it, it brings to the point, you know, the extreme uh, claim of eternal suffering in hell. You know, people respond, how could a loving God send someone to hell to suffer for all eternity? And because of that, they don't want to believe. They refuse to believe yeah. that God can send people to hell. 
what would you say to someone who refuses to accept Christ and Christianity because of that concept of hell and eternal punishment? Well, I, I would certainly say to that person, Son, that it, it is completely understandable why, um, you know, why any of us would find the doctrine of hell to be so um, difficult, um, if not impossible, almost to accept. Um, I, there's not much in us by nature that would um, look at that sort of extreme punishment that the Bible speaks of and, and really think that, that that's necessary. Um, you know, I, I've often said that um, this whole biblical teaching on hell is really, I think, the, sub, the, the second toughest doctrine in the Bible to wrap our mind around. Um, I believe the first is, is the teaching that um, the God of the universe, the creator of, of the world and of us, that he would love us enough to sacrifice his only son so that we could be spared from paying from, from our own sin and, and be given eternity in paradise. Um, that's not a natural thing uh, to wrap your mind around either. Um, and so that's challenging. But, but, you know, it is interesting that Jesus spoke more about hell, some have said, than he did about heaven. Um, Jesus loved man enough to warn man about the reality of hell. Now, I, I suppose what, what a person could do, Son, is they could approach uh, Scripture, you know, through the lens of, it must be agreeable to my way of looking at things. Um, I mean, who doesn't perhaps probably do that? But, but what, we, what we see as we start to process the Bible a bit is that God expects us to approach Scripture with humility, with faith, uh, with a commitment to have our conscience bound to the Word of God, rather than just simply having our conscience bound to, well, if it makes sense to me, I'll believe it. Um, I, I would say to that person that you, you, you're asking about, if, if they're struggling with it, I would say, hey, I, I get it. I know, yes, it, it is very, very tough to believe. And in fact, what I would even encourage somebody to do, Son, is that if they're really hung up on that, just to kind of take a break from thinking about that for a while, and just to go back to that first point, uh, the toughest doctrine, and, and it really uh, involves the love of God in sending His only Son to suffer the punishment for our sin. Um, these are challenging, certainly to our mind and to our natural way of looking at things, but once we are converted, once the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, um, we are able to begin to wrap our mind around these things if we are willing to take God's Word um, as the Word of God. Uh, you know, God's mercy for sinners, Son, uh, is far greater than what you and I would, would hand out, I'm sure, uh, for, for people who were our enemies, which is what the Bible says sin makes a person. You know, you and I, we were enemies of God by our sin. But so also God's punishment for sin goes far beyond what, what you and I would hand out. So when we start talking about eternal suffering in hell, um, you know, I like to always, we, we have to always try to keep it in balance with Scripture. Um, you know, in 1 Timothy 2, 4, it said, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And I'm so thankful, Son, that we serve a God who wants all men to be saved. Uh, the Lord is not willing that any should perish. Um, there's no question, as you point out in, in this very point you're making, that hell is a difficult doctrine. And, and the last thing I would say on it, though, Son, is this. I would simply say to a person, if, if they truly are making the point that, well, I'm not going to believe in God who would send anyone to hell, I guess I would maybe throw out a little bit of logic uh, their way, and I would encourage them to think about this for a second. 
I, I, I might even try to say to them, if I've tried some other, you know, uh, angles at that, I might say, well, I don't think you really believe even what you're saying. Um, I don't think it's, it's logical for you to say that. And they say, well, what do you mean by that? I would say, well, okay, think about this. You're saying that you don't believe in a God who sends people to hell, right? Okay. So if, if this message is true, and if, if, if you were to go to your grave rejecting Christ, ignoring this message, just refusing to repent and believe, and then you find yourself in hell, okay, um, would you, would you, as you think about it now, would you think that you'd like to get out of hell and go to heaven? Or would you think that, oh, hey, you know, it's okay that I'm here, I just soon stay here? Um, obviously, in that situation, you would, you know, not be thrilled that you're in hell. You, you, you would be like um, the rich man in Luke 16, who, who went to hell, and not because he was rich, but, but because he, he was not um, a believer in, in, in the Lord. Um, but, but he wanted to go warn his, his, his family about where he had gone. But, but I think it's illogical in, in a way, son, for a person to say, I won't believe in a God who sends people to hell, when I think anybody would say, well, hey, you know, if I found myself there, um, you bet I would want to, I would want to get out and I would believe that, um, if that was the only way I could be saved, I, I would trust the Lord. So, you know, it, it's, it's very, very deep. It's very difficult. Um, but it is one of those doctrines that our Lord, who died on the cross for our sins, he spoke quite a bit about. And so if a person wants to ignore it, I would try to gently say to them, be careful because you could be doing that to your own peril if you let it keep you from the Savior. You know, along that same lines, uh, people, you know, even Christians, sometimes, I guess, or I would believe, have a distorted perspective of heaven and hell. You know, we talked yeah. earlier about, you know, personal experiences and opinions yeah. and stuff like that. But, you know, we see movies of what heaven's like, even, you know, some some people that are uh, faith-based movie producers, you know, they have good intentions, but they yeah. they, they give us an idea of what heaven might be like. TV shows you know what the devil might be like uh, yeah. we've got musicians writing songs about lyrics of heaven hell jesus the devil things like that mm-hmm. but in the article which is transitioning from atheism to agnosticism to christianity uh, you write once you meet the lord you will never again laugh off heaven and hell and it's critical that you meet the lord and trust him as your savior before you stand in his presence on judgment day so I guess the point would be that the concept of heaven and hell, we talked a little bit about the hell side of it, but the concept of heaven and hell is real, and people yeah. really do need to take it serious. Whether they believe in it or not, they should take it serious. Well, I'll tell you, that, that is so true, Son, and I think you're right that in our society, there are these popular ideas. You know, when people talk about heaven, you'll see it in commercials, you'll see it in movies, and, and you'll see this... Um, this uh, idea that heaven is just clouds and maybe somebody playing a harp, um, but, but just like this big blank space, it's all white, and you kind of get this idea that, you know, everybody's kind of sitting around just wishing they had a magazine to read or something because it's so boring and it's so sterile. Well, um, while that may be a popular uh, myth, a popular concept in our society today, uh, the truth of the matter, according to Scripture, is that heaven is far better than we can even imagine, far brighter, uh, far more beautiful, uh, far more, more fulfilling. Um, the, the last thing heaven will be is boring. The last thing heaven will be is sterile. 
the last thing heaven will be is a place where believers like, man, when can I, um, you know, maybe take a break from here? I've got some friends down in hell. I think I'd like to go hang out with and party for a while. You know, you'll, you'll hear people say things like that because in their natural way of thinking, that's kind of the way that they, they kind of think about hell. I was listening, in fact, I think last night to a, uh, a debate between Hugh Ross and uh, Peter Atkins. And, uh, and they were, uh, Peter Atkins is an atheist, and of course Hugh Ross, an astronomer and a wonderful believer in the Lord. And anyway, um, I, I believe uh, Peter Atkins made some reference when they got on this topic briefly uh, about, you know, hell and, and uh, going down there and, and kind of, you know, almost, uh, you know, doing having some fun with some friends or something. And, you know, it's this crazy idea that man has that somehow, if hell is real, you know, it, it won't be all that bad, and, and that if heaven is real, well, we all know it's going to be very boring. Well, both of those are so far off. How do I know that, Son? Because the Bible describes both of those to the extent that God wants us to know about them right now. Uh, I mean, when Jesus said, for example, Son, that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell, I don't believe the Lord took any delight in sharing that. I don't believe a Christian should ever take certainly any delight in sharing that. But the bottom line is it's either true or it's not. Either the words of our Lord are true or they're false. And, and, and if you're going to reject that, what else in the Bible are you going to reject? You know, when Jesus said, for example, about heaven, in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. But the thing about heaven and hell, son, is that they're just as real as Los Angeles, California, and Omaha, Nebraska. And, you know, people often laugh off what they don't understand, uh, what they think is ridiculous, what they think will never affect them. But I tell you, one of the the, the scariest thoughts, almost, that, that, that I, I would ever have would be for those people who wake up and find themselves in hell and suddenly realize not only why they're there, because now there's a full awareness of their sin, their guilt, you know, their, their punishment. But, but, but tragically also, they're aware that they will never, ever leave that place. I realize as I say that, Son, that that is incredibly extreme. It is nothing that you and I or man would ever come up with. Um, but the Bible presents these places of eternal residence, if you will, um, where believers go to heaven and unbelievers go to hell. And so to laugh these places off um, is, is very, very dangerous. And it has led people to just go to their grave only to wake up two seconds later on the other side of the grave and realize, wow, you know, I really should have paid attention uh, to that when I was being told about Christ, about heaven, and about hell. You know, as you describe that, as we're talking with Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, the only thing I can kind of relate it to, and a lot of people can't even relate to this analogy, but it's almost like Mm -hmm. someone here on earth, if you were convicted of a a serious crime and you were going to spend, you know, your life in jail and those Mm -hmm. jail bars close in prison and you hear that clanging and the realization sets in, I'm not getting out. And I know that doesn't justify or do justice to what eternity in hell is going to be like, but that's just, as you were talking about it, something that popped into my mind that it's like the realization that you are here. I think that's a wonderful analogy. and, And I'll tell you why I think that's such a good analogy, Son, because let's say to use your example, that person who gets the life sentence, let's say without parole, which would be, you know, kind of the equivalent of, 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 the, of hell on the other side. Okay, so a life sentence without parole, 
when it when it hits you that in your physical life on earth, okay, you are never going to leave that that prison alive. What an overwhelming sense of just um, perhaps regret, of dread, of hopelessness that that would feel uh, make a person feel. But but now you say to use your analogy. Um, when we talk about heaven and hell, son, we're talking about where man's soul goes to be united with a new body um, that will, you know, be eternal. But because we're dealing with eternity in, in that sense, then this is why then eternal punishment in hell and an eternal joy in heaven do apply. You know, it, it does kind of come back to the, the doctrine of the immortality of the soul. Either man's soul is immortal or it's not. And of course, the whole point of this discussion today, Son, is you're focusing on this article of transitioning from atheism to agnosticism to Christianity, is is thinking about, at least in part, people who just reject the doctrine of the immortality of the soul in many cases. They not only reject the idea of God and specifically of, of Christ being our, our Savior and the only Savior, but, but many, if not all of them, would also reject this idea that their soul will exist forever. So, so this is a very, very important teaching of Scripture. It's not something that we, we understand by nature. It's not something that you can prove scientifically. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it is true. And it kind of goes back to that verse I quoted earlier about how God has set eternity in the hearts of men. You know, why does man have this sense that there's something beyond? Why does man have this sense that it doesn't feel right that I should only live 50 years or 20 years or 80 years and then die? That There's something in me that feels like that that's not right. That's not the way God originally intended it, because God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And on the other side of the grave, son, there are only two destinations uh, into eternity, and they're both extreme. And the Bible gives us a glimpse of both places. Yeah, I think like you mentioned, you know, 50 years, 80 years, tomorrow's not promised. You know, if we live in Los Angeles or you live in Nebraska, I mean, I think Oklahoma yeah. right now is going through some severe weather. Nebraska goes through severe weather, tornadoes, things like that. We've got, you know, yeah. all kinds of stuff in L.A. So no matter where you're at, tomorrow's not promised. So it really exactly. comes down to that if you are um, wishy-washy on this idea or if you are uncertain or whatever the case may be, you really have to decide and be ready because when that time on earth is over and we move on into eternity, like you said, there's only two choices. There's either going to be glory for eternity or there's going to be punishment for eternity. And one way or another, you are going in one of those directions. And so you need to really sit down and think about this and realize that if I'm going to not make it through this day, if this is my last day on earth, What's going to happen to me, and where do I want to go? And people really need to seriously think about that. Boy, amen to that, Son. I think about the, the passage in Scripture, it's appointed on a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so the moment a person takes their last breath, the moment they, they, they um, leave this, this world, the moment they die, Son, um, there is no longer an opportunity at that point to repent of your sin and receive Jesus as Savior. So, you know, when a person goes before the Lord in God's courtroom, um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the prisoner and, and the life sentence and so forth. Well, uh, you know, the Bible says we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and the fact is, son, we're all lawbreakers. And whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. 
And, and what I believe, son, and many who've gone before us have believed, many Christians have believed this, and I, and I think there's biblical support for this, to, uh, to believe this. I believe, Son, that, that when an unbeliever is standing before the Lord and, and is given their sentence, and then when they go to hell and then, you know, have that horrible, horrible existence throughout eternity in hell, that that person will know why they're there. Right now, they don't know much of anything about that whole reality, but they will know. They will know their guilt. They will know what they did that put them there. It won't make it any more, you know, any better. It won't, it won't bring them any comfort. But um, they're going to know that. And so the, the, the mission that we have right now um, is to go to those who, as we've already seen today in 2 Corinthians 4.4, those who have been blinded by the God of this age, their minds have been blinded to the gospel. Our mission is to go to them, to proclaim the gospel, to pray that the Holy Spirit will work through that in their hearts and lead them to repentance and faith in Christ and that they will be saved, because if they're not saved, forgiven, born again, redeemed, and justified before they die, son, there's no opportunity to be saved on the other side, or even on Judgment Day, when you stand before your Creator. You know, another thing that you mention in in the article, transitioning from atheism to agnosticism to Christianity, you write that atheists live in a self-imposed prison rooted in fear and superstition. So I guess my question would be, when you write that, you know, what are they afraid of? Well, that's that's a good question. I I would think, Son, that, that many atheists um, are exhibiting a fear of investigating the evidence for Christianity, uh, for example. You know, atheism, by definition, is an absolute position. You know, they're taking the position that there is no God. Um, compare it to agnosticism. Uh, the position there is, well, I'm not sure whether or not a, a God exists. So either, there's a little bit of, of humility, at least in agnosticism. There is no such humility in atheism. So I think it's a fear of investigating the evidence. Uh, I, I think it's a fear of, of acknowledging that Christianity, while it too is an absolute position, um, acknowledging that Christianity is an evidence-based you know, I, I almost have to laugh whenever I listen to a, a debate between, a, you know, an atheist and, and someone like um, Dr. John Lennox or, you know, one of the various apologists, you know, Robbie Zacharias or whoever it might be. And, you know, you, you hear the atheist, you know, regularly make the claim that, well, you know, uh, Christianity uh, is, is just uh, a faith and, and there's no evidence. Well, um, you know, they obviously haven't taken the evidence seriously. Uh, again, we talked earlier about the historical evidence. Um, we, we talked about the textual evidence, the archaeological, and on and on it goes. So I think there's a fear of investigating the evidence. There's also, I think, a natural fear of death that man has on. You know, in Hebrews 2, it says, since the children have flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, that's very interesting. Um, it is natural to be afraid of death. I think many children begin to grasp this concept of death, and it's a very deep-seated fear. So I suspect that for many atheists, the, the, the fear that they have is they're afraid of death. Who wouldn't be? I mean, you should be if you're not. Uh, you know, atheists, many of them are very intelligent in terms of their IQ, and, uh, you know, you don't have to think too hard about death to, to start to get nervous and scared and, and worried, because, you know, if you're not worried about death, it's almost like you're living in denial. You know, I mean, who wants to die and have that be the end? Uh, and, and so it seems that their fear of death 
is driving them, uh, many of them, to this antagonistic position toward Christ and the evidence. Um, uh, but I think there's also a fear of the light. You know, uh, Jesus said, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So there's this deep-seated fear that man has that if I somehow start to open up my heart to this idea of God, then I'm going to be exposed for what I am, and I know I'm far from perfect. And so I think in some cases that probably is driving some atheists and many unbelievers this fear of the light, which Jesus uh, told us about. And I guess the last thing I would say is I think um, you know, many atheists uh, would have a fear of having an open mind on the subject. You know, many of them have bought into the philosophy of scientism. You know, scientism almost is like their religion. Scientism is this idea, son, that all truth that we can know um, is, is something that, that science can, can show to us. And if science cannot demonstrate it to us, then obviously it can't be true. Well, um, this is a very naive position. You know, some of the, the greatest scientists of all time, especially some of the early scientists, you know, 400 years ago, let's say, um, you know, some of them, uh, like Newton and Galileo and others, you know, many others, um, they certainly did not have that perspective. They certainly did not embrace scientism, as, as many uh, do today, many atheists. And so if you have a closed mind to Jesus Christ, um, there's going to be fear, fear of the light, fear of death, fear of looking at the evidence, and really just fear of having an open mind on the subject, I believe. Dan Delzell with us, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, author of the article that we're talking about today, Transitioning from Atheism to Agnosticism to Christianity, can be found at the ChristianPost.com. Also on the broader general topic, going from non-belief to believing in God, concepts of heaven and hell, and the concept of hell, like you mentioned, really not uh, talked about a whole lot, uh, but it's also something that needs to be discussed, and so we kind of talked about it, and so there might be a, a heavy feeling of, you know, wow, there's hell, there's punishment, there's, you know, this, um, I'm doomed. There's good news, and the good news is once a person starts to accept God and believes in him, you start to have a changed life. A new heart leads to a new life, new motivations, and new perspectives. Dan, if someone is listening and God's knocking on their heart, how can they go about receiving Christ today as their Savior and not worry about eternal punishment in hell, but start being more excited about spending yeah. eternity in heaven? How can you accept Christ today? Well, you know, Son, um, Scripture makes it very clear, um, you know, that it's about um, confessing your sin to the Lord, turning away from sin, receiving Jesus as your Savior, and just believing in your heart that, that He died for you. You know, if, if a person, let's say, is is an atheist, you know, one of the things I would say to them, Son, uh, and I actually was reading today an article in the Christian Post, and uh, John Lennox was speaking, uh, I believe in New York City here, and, and uh, he was making the point that um, dozens of internationally uh, acclaimed scientists uh, have, have, have confessed to him when he's kind of put them on the spot, more or less, that uh, he, he's asked them, he said, if you knew that your computer was uh, simply the end product of a mindless, unguided process, would you trust it? And every one of them eventually says, no, they wouldn't. And, and then, of course, uh, Dr. John Lennox, um, this mathematician from Oxford, uh, you know, world-class apologist, you know, he, he basically says, he makes the point that, you know, you believe that your brain, your mind is the end product of a mindless, unguided process, and yet you trust it. And, and so the, 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 the atheist position 
Amazon is not sustainable. When you look at it logically, when you look at what their worldview consists of in, in terms of this uh, idea where God is left out and, and they put all their eggs in this basket of, of, of evolution. And ultimately, we won't get into that today, but this, this idea that they have that something came from nothing. Um, but, but having said that, um, I think it's critical if a person is an unbeliever to, to realize you cannot trust, you, know, you cannot fully trust your thoughts. You, you should not believe everything you think. Um, you should not assume that, that you can trust your brain if you truly believe it's the end product of a mindless, unguided process. But if, on the other hand, you're willing to accept a belief in a creator, a designer, um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then then listen to James 4.8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Or, or Acts 17.30, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Or Mark 1.15, where Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Or the jailer in Acts 16, uh, who asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And he was told, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And so, Sam, that today is how a person, uh, if they're listening and, and are interested in, in um, receiving Christ as Savior, confess your sin, turn from it, receive Jesus as your Savior, believe in Him. And right now, my friend, you can just uh, place your faith in Christ, and you'll be born again, saved, justified, forgiven, and redeemed. In that moment, the foundation will be laid, and then you'll begin a life with Christ today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Pastor Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, transitioning from atheism to agnosticism to Christianity. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Anything else you'd like to share before we wrap it up? Well, you know, I guess I would just say, Son, that if there's a person listening and maybe they'd say, you know, I'm not ready to trust Christ. It's kind of interesting. You know, um, I would maybe throw this idea out to that listener. I would say, hey, um, you know, think about asking God to show you if Jesus truly is the Redeemer of mankind and the only way to heaven. Um, try asking God to show you that. And then, my friend, would you be willing to read the Gospel of John with an open mind and a willingness to have God speak to you through His Word? Because I assure you, my friend, if you'll take a few simple steps like that, you will likely be very surprised at where you find your heart and your mind starting to go the minute you let go of this absolute position of atheism the, the minute uh, perhaps you transition to agnosticism, if that's the path you're on, but then in order to get through the breakthrough, the, Jesus can give you your breakthrough, go to the Gospel of John, my friend, soak in it, let that living water begin to fall upon your soul, let this be a nozzle, let this podcast that Son is, is producing here today, let this be a... Uh, this radio program, let this be a uh, a source for you through which the water is flowing now to your soul. Receive it, believe it, and, and you'll be changed uh, by the grace of God. Pastor Dan Delzell, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Wellspring Church, Papillion, Nebraska, ChristianPost.com. Also, uh, e-books that you can find on Amazon uh, for the Kindle and other places. So, uh, if you want more information, those are some other sources. You can check it out. Pastor, thanks so much, and we look forward to next time. I sure do as well, son. It's always my pleasure. Until next time, thanks for being with us. You guys have a great one, and we'll talk to you soon, and God bless.